0: They are guides, all guides, and in unexpected places, you'll meet their friendly faces and a ready hand besides. And there's not much danger of finding you're a stranger, for a commissioner or a ranger, they are guides, all guides. Hi, and welcome to Guides Own, the unofficial guiding podcast where we talk about everything guiding. I'm Taryn,
1: and I'm Mersa. In this episode, we will be taking a virtual visit to the Fourth World Center, Sangam. We'll be learning about its creation, the opening, its programs, and visitors.
0: After we talk about the le- after, we'll look at the life of a predominant figure in Indian politics and the Brat Scouts and Guides, Amu Swarmy Nathan. Despite circumstances that she was born into, Amu was determined to make the world a better place, as girl guides are known to do.
1: And lastly, we'll finish off with a song from Sangam, of course. This one is called Come Into Sangam and is the
0: center's official song. Mm -hmm. So Sangam, I can't believe we're already on the fourth of the five world centers. Um, But Sangam was first imagined in 1956. So the time between the first four and then by the time they added... That last one in Africa was a pretty big um, time difference. Um, But WAGS was conceived at the WAGS meeting in New Delhi. Um, The idea of building a world center in the Asia Pacific region was proposed. And a year later, at the World Conference, the decision was to build it in the new... Build a new center in India was finalized. Uh, it was thanks to the determined hard work of Laxmi Musmar, the National Commissioner of India's uh, scouts and guides in the state of Maharashtra's generous donation of seven and three quarter acres of land to be used as the site. It's located in the city of Pune, which is in the state of Madarasha, Masarasha in India, and it was selected because of the uh, temperature, the rich cultural history, and the strong tradition of education, and of course, the proximity to what was then uh, Bombay, but now uh, we call Mumbai. Um, And I remember when I went there uh, to Sangam in 2014, um, it was like we took a bus from Mumbai to uh, um, Sangam and it was I can't remember how long the bus ride it was we were all super jet lagged and tired um, but it I don't know, couldn't have been more than three hours or so so similar to um, where our chalet is in relation to um, Mexico City Um, In 1963, the building plans were approved by the World Conference in Denmark, and uh, guides and scouts around the world raised over 50% of the construction funds, and the foundation stone was laid the next year in 1964. Uh, And the name Sangam was chosen for its meaning in the ancient uh, Sanskrit language, meaning come together. And um, the center come or the center serves a place for guides and scouts to come from around the world together to share experiences as well as the culture and tradition of their homelands and member organizations, like all the world centers. Uh, for the years that have followed, seen many Girl Guides and Girl Scouts from around the world pass through the front doors as participants, guests, campers, staff, and volunteers. Uh, and over the last 50 years, uh, Sangam has grown and changed um, with the times as new amenities, buildings, and modern equipment have been added thanks to the hard work and generosity of supporters around the world. Despite these changes, this unique center has never strayed from its purpose as a place for new experiences and exploration of our world through guiding and scouting. Uh, Sangam celebrated its 50th birthday in 2016, with a new song uh, "Sangam We Belong," which um, goes into jun- conjunction with the official song "Come Into Sangam," which was written um, 25 years o- earlier for the center's 25th birthday, where we'll talk, which we'll talk about a little bit later. uh Like every World Center, Sangam um, relies on both local and staff from uh, every WAG's country. Uh, The local staff um, kind of performs the daily operational costs, so cooking and cleaning, whereas WAG's staff um, help with the guests. Uh, And the local staff when i was there were amazing they made the best food and were so welcoming and patient with us as we learned um all the traditions and how to you know drink our chai properly and how to eat um, traditional indian food in traditional ways Uh, they're really nice and welcoming like every world center Sangam has a mascot (laughs) the <laughs> Sand Games mascot is a cat named Sonu who apparently is the result of a cat meeting with a squirrel but who knows uh, she was born June of 2011 and has her own faith Facebook page um, she lives in the guide house with the um, guider in charge but pretty much owns the place and is very comfortable breaking into the dorms and through the mosquito netting uh, they are considerate, and she gets locked away if someone, if a guest comes with allergies. Uh, she also wears a bell because she likes to eat geckos, um, resulting in too many trips to the local vet. Uh, and she loves snuggling up with the guests. Um, Sangam is affiliated with twenty community organizations. Um, which work in a number of fields, so medicine, education, sustainability, women's empowerment, and pretty much every, anything else you can think of. Um, and during their events, the participants visit their community partners and work with one of the chosen um, participants to choose which organization they want to work with um, and learn a little bit about the history of the organization and help out with... The um, with the organization and what they do. Um, and there's so many of them. So some of the ones that they work with are the local guides and scouts, um, uh, going to meetings or having girls come in and spending an afternoon playing and learning games and songs. Um, one is doorstep school, which is an organization fully devoted to education and was born through the experience of working with the public school system and slum communities in urban areas. Uh, There's the Green Terra Foundation, which focuses on the development of adolescent girls. Future mothers are valued as important members of society, helping build and improve their capabilities so they can stand independently and face their future. Um, They have um, the Bal Kalyan Sashina, I think, um, which is a recreational and cultural center for disabled children in the state of Masharasha, India. Uh, they have Deep Grisha, which addresses the health and welfare needs of poor and neglected inhabitants. And Swatch, which is the group I worked with when I was there, we've talked about before, which is a door-to-door waste collection initiative. Um, yeah, I figured I would share a couple stories I remember from when I was at Sangam. Um, and I can't even think of any off the top of my head that I haven't already talked about. Um, I feel like I've talked about um, my trip so much already in the podcast. Um, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to
1: even think oh. of something to ask that would like help. Yeah,
0: <laughs> um, I,
1: like I know what's really cool that I often hear about from Tina, but maybe not everyone knows is um the whole tradition with the um going to the market for the sari fabric. Oh, yeah. Explain
0: that. Yeah. Um. So one day, um, kind of halfway through the trip. They'll take us to into Pune into kind of their downtown market area. And I think we were given a scavenger hunt or something where let's just wander around. We went into um, their food market and wandered through there. We were able to buy um, some fruit and veggies if we wanted. Um, And then we ended up one of the last stops is that everyone got taken up to the sari shop. And I'll find photos, but there is floor to ceiling, um, like all the walls are just bolts and bolts of sari fabric, sorry. Um, And you point one out and say, like, I like the look of this, can I see it? And they'll pull the bolt out and like throw it across the huge floor. Um, And it's, oh, I think we spent like an hour there. Um, just going through all the different colors and fabrics, um picking out what you wanted. Uh and then once you finally decided, which took a while sometimes, there were so many choices. Um they took your measurements and made you a sari um and then brought it over like the next week or the next day, maybe a couple of days later um and that night um for one of their cult like evening programs um everyone got dressed up in their saris and uh we did a traditional welcoming ceremony um and yeah it was saris are amazing they're so bright and colorful um and just going into the shop with all the fabric was like, so amazing. Um, I'm trying to think what else. We went into... Might have been the same trip. Might have been a different trip uh, to the market. We went to another store um, that just sold bangles. And it was the same thing. Ooh. Like, every color you could imagine just, like, tied together and, like, with little pieces of ribbon uh, just everywhere, all sorts of colors. Um, they really like their colors. There's colors everywhere. Uh, yeah. Try and think what else. There's a lot of fun. Um, I can't, the trip was such a whirlwind. I can't even remember like, what we did at Sangam versus the rest of the trip. Because <laughs> um, it was three weeks and we spent 10 days at Sangam and then 10 days touring. And we did, like during the tour, we did um, Mumbai, Delhi, excuse me, Agra, which is where the Taj Mahal is. We did um, Udapur and Judipur and a couple other purrs. So the um, suffix part and um, India is like a city state. Um, so they're all old, um, Mm. at one time, um, would have been where, like, the Lord, their equivalent of the Lord, um, would have lived. So that's why there are so many different cities in India that end with per. Um, yeah, the whole trip was amazing. Uh, I definitely felt like I learned a lot about Like the Indian culture that I don't think I would have learned elsewhere. Um, That, like, seeing how they live, but also how, like, everyone's so, not everyone's so friendly, but like the people we interacted with were super friendly, and the combination of uh, different religions in India and how they all, um, interact and like work together we well, not work together but our um words are escaping me um coexist uh, was really cool mm. um so uh one day we went for a walk in the um community across the street from sangam um on a little tour and like one building there would be a Hindu shrine and then the next building over would be I wanna say like a Muslim shrine and then um like the next building over or building two over would be like a different religion sh- religious shrine. So it's really cool seeing that
1: mm. um, I feel like that's something that yeah a lot of people don't know is how diverse the religion religions are in India I think yeah. that's something that I never even thought of I just I think I really thought that Hindu was like the one and only and I didn't even think that other influences would um be a part of that but it's huge when I was researching um Amu I was like reading into the castes and I was realizing how many different religions are like quite prominent mm-hmm. it was yeah it was kind of blew my mind
0: yeah, and they all coexist so peacefully, like, it doesn't matter that you're not, like, the same religion I am, like, your shrine's on that side of the street, my shrine's on this side of the street, whatever. Like, at the end of the day, we're still people. Um, I think that comes from, like, most of the Indian religions are, like, peace is such a central tenant to all of them, that it makes sense. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was really beautiful. Like just being able to walk down and see all the different religions, kind of like how in North America you walk down a street and you see all different churches. Like you'll see a United Church, you'll see a Presbyterian Church, you'll see a Catholic Church. Um, or like you'll even get like some smaller cities. You'll get to the center, like town square, and you'll see like three or four churches, like on each corner of. like each corner of the intersection um and it was cool seeing the same kind of idea but with different religions which is not Mm -hmm. something we see a lot in North America yeah
1: Yeah. I think that's uh (laughs) a completely different like thing to go on to um Mm -hmm. but um I think what I'm interested in you might not remember it because I feel like food is such a regular part of your day you don't even really think about it but was there anything that you can remember that you really enjoyed that the ladies made
0: um the chai tea um I definitely um tea time every afternoon was a really big part of all of our days um everyone kind of we would get back from whatever activity we are doing and, like, all conjugated in the kitchen for tea. Um, and they made it themselves, so it wasn't, like, chai tea that you would think of in North America. They put all the spices um, in with milk and, I think, a little bit of water, um, and it was so good. Um
1: that's One actually of, a good point. I was gonna ask you like, is chai tea that you get at Starbucks any uh, at least any similar to Indian, or is it completely off? Like we're like, just drinking something different.
0: A chai tea latte would probably be the closest thing that you get at a regular store in North America, at, okay. like Starbucks or something. But like if you go and you get like a chai tea in a tea bag, it's completely different.
1: Mm, okay.
0: Yeah. Um And I tried to figure it out, but I couldn't find where that delineation happened, like, where it came, like, uh, different spices, and it possibly could have black tea in it, I can't remember, Um with milk, and I think sugar, I can't remember, Um to what, like, we consider chai, in North America, which is just, like, a very flavorful black tea mm. um but chai tea there is very different than what we get here um the other big thing is like every world center um you have a traditional meal um usually on your last night to do like you know as your part of your closing ceremonies um and so we did like full Um, traditional Indian where they had us sit cross-legged on the floor. Um, We weren't given, we were, we were were given cutlery, but we were encouraged to use naan and kind of how um, in traditional Indian culture, they'll rip off a piece of naan and kind of use it um, like sandwich a bit of what they're eating. Um, So you get like a pinch of rice and, I don't know if you're doing like chicken. You get a pinch of rice and chicken and sauce, and eat it like that. Versus with, you know, a fork or whatever um, here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then learning how to rep nan with one hand because um, they still oh. it's still a very much cultural thing where you eat with your right hand. Uh, Because your left hand is your dirty hand. You use that, like, when you go to the bathroom, stuff like that. Um, So you try to do, like, only eat with your right hand and going and trying to do that. Um, Which was really fun. Um, And probably the one skill, like, I mastered and brought back from India with me. Is I'm still, like, really good at ripping Nan with one hand. Especially, like, um, good quality, Dan. Um, mm. Some of the stuff that you get at grocery stores is not the best. But, <laughs> yeah.
1: I feel like I would probably fail at that being left-handed. So, like, it's just more natural for me <laughs> to use my left hand. But it yeah. would be fun trying. I would definitely have to. I feel like Sangam is one of the world centers that probably you would learn the most out of, I think all the places because it's so culturally different at least coming from North America so culturally different from mm-hmm. what we uh, experience here
0: yeah I wonder how much like different I would experience um shell not our Arshel- Archibania Arshel- if I went back now as a young adult versus a young teenager mm. um because I'm sure that would be like just as eye opening of an experience as India was, um, yeah, versus like Switzerland, um, and our chalet and Pax Lodge in London, which yeah. are like the cultural difference between Canada and or at least Southern Ontario and London isn't that big, other than like transportation really
1: mm-hmm. and even that and, like, a
0: like lot of... we have a subway yeah. we have buses
1: i think um because of who settled here in north america europeans and the british right that's where that comes mm. from so then our therefore our culture is so similar so then yeah places like mexico and india and africa um would be quite different for us um yeah very interesting i would love one day to go. And uh, I hope they all survive, you know, this pandemic. It's been hard hitting. Yeah. On them. I uh, think which is actually a good opportunity to plug them. Um, definitely. I know SANGAM and I think actually all the world centers are offering virtual programming um, to any and all units. They're just asking for donations. And yeah. SANGAM in particular is offering, I know of one course that is like a food or recipe course they will teach you how to cook something traditional
0: i'm Um, so excited for that i know i'm planning on doing that i still need to send in my donation but planning on doing that the end of january yeah Um, so
1: there's some yeah yeah. really cool things to look at and um i know there's one for our i've seen um i think there's also i know i've seen stuff for Arcabania. i haven't seen anything for Kusafari or um, PAX Lodge, but there's probably um, programming available too. If you like are looking for a way to get your unit or troop to do something virtually, um, while also helping out a world center, I think it's a great way to support them and make sure they're still going to exist you know, in the future. And mm-hmm. maybe if you were planning on going on a trip this year, which has, at least in Canada, has been canceled, um, there's no trips happening in 2021, um, if you were going to go, maybe use this as an opportunity to show your trip group um, something about the World Center that you're going to look forward to, or you know, just continue to to support. I think mm-hmm. everyone needs some help right now, and the World Centers, as Girl Guides, are probably um, the best place you can donate to.
0: Yeah, um, definitely something like the World Centers have been around for so long. Like Sangam is the second youngest and it's over 50 years old. Um, And it's something that has given so much to the girls and women leaders who have gone. Um, Getting out of your comfort zone and experiencing a new part of the world and new experiences um, is something so valuable that is such a, Part of guiding, that uh, it would be so disappointing to see them disappear because of COVID.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I guess moving on to a lighter note. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, um, we're going to take a look at the life of Amu. Nancy Reagan, Helen Hayes, Jan Davis, John Sove, Carrie Fisher, William's sister Shirley Temple, Black. Tammy Duckworth, Kathy Frost, Candice Bergen, Lucille Ball, Debbie Reynolds, Princess Margaret, Hillary Clinton. Did you know she was a girl guy? Busting down the door a hundred years or more. Did you know she was a girl guy? Here to let you know she was a guy, you know. Did you know she was a girl guy? So, um, I'm to Annie, you know know Nathan. Guy, um, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I might have butchered it. Um, But she was born in the Palkad district of uh, present-day Kerala, India, in 1894. That is um, probably one of the oldest people we've done. Um,
0: Yeah, I just want to say, I think that makes her the oldest she was a girl guide, you know, up to this point.
1: Yeah, Um, I don't think we've gone back that far, but I could be Mm, wrong. Um, Maybe...
0: um... Oh, what's her name from Castle Loma?
1: Yeah, possibly. Um, Ma- Lady Mary Pellet? Yes. Possibly her, but she- Emma is definitely one of the oldest. Yes. Um, so Emma was um, the youngest of 13 children, which included nine sisters. Um, it's a huge family, um, but of course, back in the early 1900s, that wasn't rare, that was quite common. Um, especially in India. Um, Amu was also known as Amu She had a nickname, I guess, Amu Stuck, or maybe Amu was the nickname, uh, wasn't clear. Um, so yeah, her and her family, um, lived together in India and both of her parents belonged to the Nair caste. Um, and I'll get into what casts are just so that you have sort of an idea of what it was like for her growing up. Um, So in India, castes have origins in their ancient history and are basically just a system or a framework for dividing people into classes. So, you know, way back in the um, Middle Ages, they already had classes with, um, you know, they've got the royalty and they've got like sort of the laborers and you've got like what people like to call peasants, but there were systems and it was quite old in India as well. Um, And they actually still have castes today, but they're a little bit different um and some of the classes that they used to divide were like I said um people who were rulers um they were sort of at the top and then there were sort of people like artisans and farmers and they were sort of the middle class and then you've got laborers sort of as the lower class um and that was sort of how it was divided and that's changed over the years um at one point it was and I think sort of right now a lot of it is divided by religion um mm-hmm. So it's very interesting to look at. Um, If you want more information, you can totally look into it yourself. Um, But like many old ways of doing things that has um, been transformed as a result of urbanization, especially in India. And of course, um, for India, the reservation, which is a system that provides um, these historically disadvantaged groups, um, they provide them representation in education, employment and politics. And from the little bit that I read, it basically means that they reserve seats, the, um, like places in, I think, the parliament for people of those lower or disadvantaged classes um, to be represented. Because I think um, historically they weren't represented, and so a lot of the people who had more power were making the choices, and you know, it wasn't um, didn't serve everyone very well, and people often looked down upon the lower class. Mm-hmm. Um, So this was sort of their way of tackling that. They made what was called this reservation. So, yeah, it's changed quite a bit. Um, And Amru sort of got into that. She was into politics. Um, Mostly, I think a big influence for her was her father. Um, His name was Govinda Menon. And he was a um, minor local official. That was sort of his work. Um, And growing up, Amu never went to school um, and she actually only received a rudimentary education at home, which was just to prepare her for married life, which consisted of very minimal reading and writing and was basically focused on the cooking and the keeping of house, which, you know, isn't too, doesn't stray too far from what a lot of girls in that time around the world were, you know, being educated for. It wasn't really a formal education. It was more like, you know for married life Um, and interestingly enough though Amu's ideas were um, quite feminist from a very young age and this of course continued to manifest in her activities as she became older and she became a social reformer and a politician. Um, Sadly though Amu lost her father at a very young age and her mother was struggling to raise her children, all 13 of them, Um, and arranged marriages for all her daughters too. So there was, she had nine sisters, so that was 10 daughters. She had to, her mother had to arrange marriages for, which is, uh, if you know anything about arranged marriages, that's a lot of politics, even in and of itself, right? Yeah. It's basically a deal, right? Like I'm giving you my daughter, what are you going to give me in return? That's like the basic understanding of what that is. There's a lot more to it, but, um, Yep, she was. Uh, she was having to do that for all her daughters, um, and Amu, of course, being very spirited, even at the age of thirteen, um, when she was faced with the prospect of marriage, um, she laid down her own conditions before even agreeing to it, um, which is quite, I think, controversial. Controversial for a girl um, in India at that day and age.
0: Even um, today, at that young of an age, at thirteen, have a. Yeah a girl speak up like that wouldn't necessarily happen.
1: No. She was, I think this is what'll, you know, is what kept her going and kept her doing what she does uh, or did. Um, And uh, her, there's an article in which her granddaughter talks about her grandmother a little bit um, Mm -hmm. about Amu. And she says that um, the conditions that Amu made about the marriage was that first it had to include moving to Madras. Um, It also had to include getting an English education. So Amy wanted to get an English education if she was married, And then thirdly, that the condition was that she would never be asked what time she would reach home because nobody asked her brothers that question. (laughs) So she wanted to be treated as an equal, essentially, is what that last one was about, right? Yeah. She didn't want to be asked, like, well, when are you coming home? It's It's not really any of your business now, is it? Um, so yeah, she was quite feisty and knew what she wanted and held strong to it. Um, so thankfully, as a result, her mother was able to arrange an alliance for her, which conformed to what they call the Sanbendam system, which was a caste and was well accepted in, um, their society at that time. So it was sort of good for everyone. Um, and her, um, spouse-to-be was, um, Su- Swami Nathan, who was a close associate of her father. So he knew her father. And so I guess that gave her a level of comfortability going into a marriage. And um, he was also more than 20 years older than Amu. So um, I mean, kind of common for that day also, um, part of arranged marriages is that husband was often quite a bit older. um, And that was just how it was. Thankfully, that was turned out to be okay for her. Um, And at the time when the marriage was being arranged, um, the caste that Amu belonged to um, used to practice a form of marriage um, where children couldn't inherit property from their father. But of course, Amu was not going to agree to that. And so she and her husband rejected the practice and got their marriage registered in England instead of in India. So that she could have equal inheritance and property rights and all that for her children. Hmm. So yeah, she was very, you know, feminist, future forward looking. um, Very ahead of time. Yeah, hugely. Um, So yeah, her husband, Subarama, was born into a middle class um, family and had struggled quite hard actually in his early life to gain an education and sort of rise above the situation. he studied with scholarships at the Universities of Edinburgh and London and um, his extended study abroad time, as well as his financial situation, is what prevented him from marrying um, earlier until he was in his mid 30s at that point. So, you know, seeking that education put marriage off for him um, until he could come back. And. Um, but yeah, they got to, they, they were married and um, together they had four children. They had two boys and two girls and they were all given equal access to education as well as the opportunity to pursue the careers of their choice, which again is quite ahead of their time. Um, you know, allowing your children to choose what you want, uh, what they want to do and not telling them, like you have to be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer. Um, you know, the traditional roles and careers, they got to choose. And um, yeah, her um, two daughters went on to become successful and actually extremely well-known in their respective spheres. Her daughter Lakshmi um, was her second born and was popularly known as Captain Lakshmi um, and became the leader of the Reni Jansi Regiment um, of the Indian National Army. Um, And then her youngest um, daughter, I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly, Myrne, <laughs> Um, she became a very famous dancer. So her daughters at least went on to become um, quite big names, um, but they also got to do what they wanted to do. And her sons, of course, also took on some, I think one became involved in politics, just like she did. I um, can't remember what the other one did, but they all seemed to find success. And families started their own families so that is really nice to hear um yeah so in terms of her career um so having only received a very rudimentary education her life was transformed when her husband began to devote a large part of his life to nurturing her development so he saw that she was lacking in that education area and he thought i have all this education i'm going to try and help her um, because I can see potential in her. So he indulged both, um, his wife and uh, encouraged her talents. And that sort of allowed her to blossom and become who she really wanted to be. Um, -hmm. he appointed tutors to teach her English as well as other subjects at home. And she ended up becoming fluent in English quite soon. And the confidence, um, that her husband's support gave her meant that she also developed a very forceful and willful personality. So yeah. she was quite strong-minded. Um, and then it was around 1914 when Amu became politically active. Um, and then in 1917, she formed the Women's India Association along with a lady by the name of Malithai, um Pat Warden, Annie Besant, Mrs. Dadaboy, the Margaret cousins, and Mrs. Ambu Jamal, um, they together tried to address the social and economic issues of women laborers. Um, Again, quite a thing for the time. I think it was something that was happening worldwide. I know um, the suffragettes, of course, were a big thing at the time in um, sort of England. So women around the world were very slowly starting to speak up and Amu was the leader of that for women in India. Mm -hmm. Then in 1934, Amu joined the Indian National Congress um, where she was quite a strong advocate for universal adult franchise as well as equal constitutional rights for women. And um, this was reflected in her activities as part of the Congress. Um, She was also an active participant in the Quit India Movement in 1942 and as a result was jailed for a year. Um, She was also quite a strong advocate for pro-women in legislation, so having more women in legislation, Um, was an advocate against caste discrimination and pushed for various Hindu code bills, bills that were aimed at reforming succession, inheritance and marriage laws. So again, she was like on top of that stuff where equality was not being met and wanting to make sure women who were going to get married in the future had the right to inheritance um, and, you know, were being respected through the marriage laws and, you know, weren't just sort of seen as an object. Um, There is, of course, a very popular story about how she stood up um, to a fellow inmate regarding the caste discrimination, because that was something that really bugged her. Um, so after being arrested in jail for participating in the Quit India movement in 1942, Amu heard one of the fellow inmates call out to a sanitary worker, um, Shudrachi, which referred to her low caste um, identity. Um, and so annoyed, Amu walked up to this fellow inmate and said, yes, tell me. And the confused inmate said she was calling to the sanitary worker, not Amu. But then Amu replied, I am a uh, Shudraki too. Now say, what do you want? So she was basically saying, like, the sanitary worker was of a class that she was from, um, that Amu was from. And this this fellow inmate was calling her out and calling her names and saying, like, you call her that. But, you know, look at me. I'm also from the same caste. But, you know. I'm here. So it's something that she was willing to stand up for quite early on. Um, and again, her granddaughter said remembers how feisty her grandmother was. And she thinks of it quite fondly and with great pride. Um, she says that she was very conscious of the arrogance of the upper caste and constantly tried to unsettle them by standing up against it. So that is a very popular story that if you read about Amu, it's one that'll come up. Um, And overall it was under her husband's influence um, that gave Amu the idea to become a follower of Mahatma Gandhi. And she began to take part in India's struggle for independence. And once independence was achieved, she served as a member of the Constituent Assembly of India the Constituent Assembly of India was elected to write the Constitution of India. And following their independence from the British government in 1947, their members served as the nation's very first parliament. So she was involved in quite a big marker in Indian history. Um, Some of the main qualifications that gave her this role was the fact that she had very strong English skills. And it was also the fact that she was a woman who was um, forceful, had an outspoken personality. And at the time, there were very few Indian women who had even remote engagement with politics. So she sort of had a bit of political experience as well. Um, And all of that played part in her um, getting that role. And in 1952, Amu was elected a member of the Rajya Sabha, which was the Council of States from the Madras State. And during her membership there, she was associated with a number of cultural and social organizations. Um, and that was also a time when she served as the president of the Bharat Scouts and Guides. Um, and she took that role from November 1960 to March 1965. So she served for about five years. And the Bharat. Scouts and Guides, Um, for those of you who don't know, it's the Guiding and Scouting Organization in India. And Guiding and Scouting is together in a way. The the organization is one and there's Scouts and Guides. So it's a little bit different than probably what you're used to, um, depending on where you're from. Um, So, yeah, she's been quite involved in politics, quite involved in social movements and, you know, being the leader. And she was recognized for a lot of her hard work Um, in 1975. She was selected as Mother of the Year. um, And that happened on the inauguration of International Women's Year. Um, And she was just overall a very dynamic personality and strong woman. And she remains an inspiration to lots and lots of Indian women even today. She is most well known for not only the struggle for independence, but also for empowering um, gender equality, um, as well as dabbling in many, many areas where women at the time had restricted access. Um, And she ended up, of course, excelling in all of the things that she tackled. So she was seen as a very strong, independent Indian woman who was fighting for things, all things, equality.
0: Yeah, I definitely was a visionary, a woman, definitely a woman before her time, making um, the world a better place for um, originally her daughters, but then kind of turned into every girl um, and India Uh, yeah she was a pretty
1: cool lady I think and actually that um that story about her sort of standing up for that sanitary worker in prison sort of is a little bit familiar in terms of hearing the story of Rosa Parks right it's someone coming from like a lower class or someone from a class who's getting discriminated against um Mm -hmm. and is standing up in, in even her lowest, you know, hour. Um, it sort of reminded me a little bit of her. It's not really the exact same situation, but it's a similar sort of idea. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm happy that we were able to find her. Like, I know when we were looking for a um, girl guy to go with this episode, we had a hard time originally finding um any girl guides from india but uh we found her and it was it was really cool learning about um not only a guider from a another country another culture but like one of the founding guiders for indian uh girl guides mm-hmm. yeah um yeah. Um, sorry, let's make sure I thought for a second. Um, I guess that brings us to our campfire song um, Come into Sangam. talked about a number of times before, Wags seems to not be the best with keeping um, records and notes of um, where various songs came from. It's a problem we've run into a bunch. Um, the only thing I could find on Coming to Sangan is that it was written in 91, 1991 for SANGAM's 25th anniversary. Um, and it was written by a former World Center um, World Center manager, Jen Barron, and previous Guider in Charge, Margot Browning. And that's it. <laughs> um, tried to look around, couldn't really find anything. Yeah one of those songs that are once again lost to the time I guess
1: <laughs> yeah I think it's um a pretty nice song I remember listening to it when I was initially doing um research on Sangam but
0: yeah it's a good one yeah I um forgot to stick the lyrics into our documents i'm just looking it up because i can't remember them off my head right now um but it's a lovely song it's about um going with the um theme of or the meaning of saying ham which is peace um it talks about peace and friendship um and um, at Sangam and around the world. Um, one of the big lines or important lines is, um, guides of all nations together we stand with goodwill and fr- friendship unite in our band. So working together like one family, um, one like group of friends, Um, going back to a lot of our um, themes and our campfire songs of sisterhood and friendship. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I think it shares uh, also
1: similarities with other World Center songs where it's about being welcomed into this space, this community that's been built, and it's people coming from all over the world and how similar we are um, as girl guides and girl scouts. We share a lot of similarities and that's sort of what brings us together and what keeps us together, even though we're maybe miles apart um, physically.
0: Yeah. Physically and culturally, like there's Mm. a lot of cultural differences between different guiding countries Um. And, um, you know, saying games about peace and being together, um, no matter what those differences are, um, and finding a way to, you know, bring friendship everywhere and, you know, strengthen that cultural understanding. Um... That's all I have to say for it. I feel like I was very underprepared for this episode, but it's been a hell of a week. I moved over the week <laughs> last week, so it's been oh, a whirlwind of a week. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um. Unless you have anything else to add, Marissa, uh, that brings us to the end of another episode. Um. And like always, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you find your, um, all the rest of the podcast you listen to. Um, and wherever that may be, make sure you give us a five-star rating, uh, rate, uh, five-star rating and a review to let us know that you're listening and enjoying.
1: And you can follow us, of course, on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, YouTube, LinkedIn, if you consider those social media. um, We're we're on there. Um, Episodes are being uploaded to YouTube if that's a place you want to listen to the podcast or prefer to listen to. Um, And then you follow us on the others for any podcast news, um, new episode updates, um, little preview clips, everything like that behind the scenes. Um, Follow us there and give us some interaction. We'd love to hear what you're thinking and uh, get a few comments here and there, but mm-hmm. we'd love to hear more.
0: Definitely, and, sorry, and as we part, we wish you all, our listeners, good guiding. Day, Day is done, done. Gone, gone the sun, from, from the, the lake, from the hills, from the sky, the all is well. Safely rest, peace is
2: nigh.